Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Hey, everybody, this is Gabrielle, and today we are talking with Patrice Lee. Patrice is the national spokeswoman for an organization called Generation Opportunity. Generation Opportunity is an incredible group that is focused on equipping the millennial generation with a better understanding about what opportunity in this nation looks like. So today I am so stoked that we've got so much stuff to talk about. I don't think we're going to be able to get to all of it, but we'll try. And today we're going to be talking to Patrice about her own journey, what her perspective is on this generation and what opportunity actually looks like for us millennials. Patrice, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. So right off the bat, I've got to ask you, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before, is what made you want to work at an organization like Generation Opportunity? So prior to this, I um, I actually worked for a, a, an association of, of funders, uh, donors, and, and foundations. Uh, and it, while I believed in the mission, I really wanted to work with my generation. Um, and so when I heard about a, a relatively young kind of startup group that was trying to articulate the principles of a free economy um, and a free market to, to other young people, I, I was pretty excited. I was bought in. Um, and I ended up landing at Generation Opportunity. And I'm, I've, I've really internalized the mission because it's something that I'm committed to. You know, I want to, I want to see the opportunity and freedom that, you know, my parents moved us to this country for, you know, protected number one, but also promoted to young people who, who think that all is lost. I mean, they half of almost half of millennials think that the American dream is gone, and 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 I want to fight that. I want them to. I want us to understand that it's alive and well, and it's possible. But we just need to to, to get the barriers out of the way. So half of millennials think that the American dream doesn't exist, but is there a millennial American dream that we're still fighting for? So, uh, you know, I think for, for we're unique in that we are we are focused on our individual success and, and we're redefining what the American dream should be or, or what the ideal life is. And, and, you know, talking to some of my friends, a lot of them say, the life I have right now is success. You know, I want to be able to work every day and, and take care of my, uh, pay my rent, you know, hopefully put money aside to buy a house um, and start a family one day. And while that does look a lot like the, uh, the, the traditional American dream, a lot of young people also want to start businesses. Um, many people have side hustles. Even driving for Uber <laughs> is something and using Airbnb. These are, these are new ways of us um, getting into the market you know, as a, a part-time opportunity and maybe turning that into something full-time or just, you know, hanging our own shin- shingle, so to speak. So, you know, I think we're, we're redefining the American dream a little bit, but, you know, there, there are challenges. And I think our generation is, is very keenly aware of those challenges. And we just need to figure out how we can overcome the challenges. And you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> I'm definitely, I, I recognize that a lot of these challenges are government imposed. So overcoming them uh, and then freeing us up so that we can really um, experience everything that we that we that 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 this country has to offer us and that we can do as like the most educated generation. The key that you really hit on there was this 
redefining of what the American dream really is. And for many of us, it's not the house, the picket fence, you know, the 2.5 kids, or if it is, we're waiting five to seven years longer to, to achieve that. I think for, for our generation, and tell me if you agree with me, is we really want to have an experience. We want to participate in our own destiny rather than someone defining that for us. Yeah, we are a very experiential generation, meaning that we would, and studies um, bear this out, we would choose the experience over um, the, you know, the, the, the specific good. So, for example, we'll choose a job that allows us the freedom to travel over uh, maybe perhaps more money. Um, and, and so that idea of fulfillment um, is very important in how we look at, at the American dream and how we define success for our lives. I think generations like baby boomers and, and older generations that are in the, the workplace, I think they're struggling to understand, to understand us and understand why we are so much into that experience and redefining what has always been you know, the way to success um, and the path to success. But when you look at the fact that we were told, if you go to college, you get a, a college degree, uh, you can graduate in this market and you'll get a good job and then you'll be able to pay off any student loan debt that you incurred. We, we came out in, in, a, in a market um, during the Great Recession and found that there were, no, there were no good jobs, but we took on an inordinate amount of debt to pay to, to pay for our education. And so there's a little bit of, um, uh, we're a bit cynical about um, what it takes to to get to the middle class and, and how to enjoy life. And so I think that's why we're, we're like, you know, we'll postpone the major milestones, the buying the car, the buying the house, but we do want to have experiences of traveling and, and living life to the fullest right now. So it's an interesting balance. So you started talking a little bit before about the role of government and regulation in really being a gatekeeper for many in this generation to achieve their goals, to start companies, to be able to afford that house, to be able to even take that vacation that they've been working for. Now, there's no secret out there that many millennials are supportive of a socialist way of thinking. Uh, Reason recently released a survey and found that 53% of Americans under 30 have a favorable view of socialism. And we're seeing this with the support of presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. We're seeing it with the redistribution of wealth conversations on college campuses and even into the young professional field. Why is it that this generation is so drawn to language and messaging that makes it feel like everything is free? <laughs> so in part, and, and you know, you, you, you mentioned the Reason Root Poll, which is uh, the recent one. But actually, when they looked back a couple of years ago and, and, um, and polled us, about our positions on, on socialism, they kind of dug down deep and realized millennials really don't understand what socialism means. I don't think we have a frame of reference the way our parents and our grandparents have for what socialism in practice looks like. I mean, when you can, um, there's this nostalgia around Cuba, for example, because, you know, President Obama and his wife and family went there recently and, and um, uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Beyonce went there and everything looks, you know, like from the 60s, but they don't recognize that there is so much oppression 
um, in socialist countries. And the idea that e equally redistributing wealth does not make everyone better, it actually equally redistributes the poverty. It equally redistributes um, you know, the hardship. Uh, and, and that's and that's not understood by our generation because we're so far removed from it. And, and you know, that's actually a testimony to to capitalism and to um, the free market system, you know, propelling our nation so far ahead that, you know, we don't have the same struggles um, that past generations have had. So, you know, um, we, we don't we don't remember the Berlin Wall falling. I mean, the oldest millennials, you know, were, were in kindergarten or, or maybe um, elementary school when it happened. So I think we need a new uh, uh, a re-education of what socialism really means. It's not socialism in the term, in the the way we use social as you know connecting with people as much as it is in redistribution redistribution of hardship and pain. And when you when when we go on college campuses and we do these little tests that say you know what if you are let's redistribute some grades here. I mean, if you're an A student, you have more than enough GPA points to, to give to somebody who's a D student and help them. When, you, when we ask college students to do that, they're like, no way, that's not fair. I've worked hard, I, I should keep my A grade, right? And it's, so translating that to an economic system, you know, if you've worked hard, if you have, you know, you took your, your side hustle, uh, you took your passion, your skills, you built a business, you should be able to benefit and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Uh, and there's not, and, and it doesn't take anything away from anyone else. You know, if you choose to, to, to give money back and through philanthropy or whatever, or else that's fantastic. But we shouldn't have to take from the rich, so to speak, to give to the poor. That just shares the equal pain. And when we when we start to break it down in these types of terms, then I think our generation gets it more. But right now we just don't have the same frame of reference that our parents did. I think you made a great point there in actually communicating what socialism actually is. And what we're dealing with right now, what we're fighting against is a fight against definitions. Telling someone you should be against socialism when they don't understand what it is is saying, you know, you should really be about against tacos. Tacos are terrible. And you're like, mm -hmm. I love tacos. What are you talking about? But you have no idea what they're actually using for their frame of reference, what that definition actually is. So other than going in and, and talking about the redistribution of grades, for example, which I've seen on campuses and it's brilliant. It works so well because <laughs> it's incredibly personal. You worked yes. hard for that grade. You remember, you know, staying up till 2 a.m. working on that final. There's no way you're giving that up. In addition to that, what other ways are you finding is effective at translating what redistribution means for this generation? Oh, so the sharing economy is the perfect example and the, and the perfect um, way that we connect to connect young people to the ideas of, of a free market system. Um, so, so when we think about government, we don't think Apple. Um, that's not the first word that comes to mind. We think inefficient. We think of the, the DMV, long lines, people who don't really have efficiency and customer service at the forefront of their mind. When we think of innovation, we think of Apple, we think of um, Uber, we think of Airbnb, we think of all of the of the ways technology is, you know, solving our, our, our problems, solving some of the daily day-to-day -day, um, mundane tasks or, or, or 
um, things that, that we just get a, get um, get uh, kind of just uh, get annoyed by. You know, it's easy. It would be great if somebody can go and pick up my my cleaning before it closes from the, at the cleaners at five because I have my I can't get off until six. Well, you know, that's what Task Rabbit can be for. Or you know, I really don't want to take my car to the airport and have to park it. Well, hey, I can just call an Uber and it's going to be cheaper and get me right to the airport. You know, um, in just the same amount of time, and I don't need to spend money on parking. So, you know, so when we when we go on college campuses or just talk to young people in general and say, hey, you know, do you like Uber? Oh yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. Well, we we explain what how sometimes there are regulations or you know people who have established we call them established interests. You know, the the taxi cabs, for example, who don't like new competition, and so they would rather instead of playing fairly and innovating themselves, coming up with their version of Uber, for example, they would rather, you know, lobby, um, lobby a local legislature or lobby this, the lobby at the federal level to get the rules changed so that Uber can't operate or that Airbnb can't operate or a lot of these new technology companies can't operate. And that is, that's a perfect example of, of what happens with, um, we call it cronyism, where it's just someone who has already been in the game changing the rules of the game so that no one else can get in or that no one else can get in and, and win as well. And when we explain the free market system and socialism with, it, with that lens, then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off because now we're tapping into a frame of reference that our generation understands. Well, and it's so intensely personal as well. When we're talking about an Uber, a TaskRabbit going in and providing a service for us, we see it affecting our lives. It's improving our, our lives and how we're communicating, how we're getting things done, how we're going places. But for some reason, we lose that connection when we're talking about and even voting for policies that would make it more difficult for those very, very entities to exist. I had to laugh. I recently went to the, the DMV to go get my license renewed. Uh-huh. And it was as if I was in an, a caricature of a DMV <laughs> office. There was the two-hour wait lines. Everyone looked like they were, you know, getting mug shots. I mean, no one was happy to be there. You know, it was terrible music. It just, it was... It was so funny because I said, this is exactly why the government should not be in charge of innovation, because <laughs> government is in charge of of protection, of keeping things steady, of being consistent. And, and when they are kept in their role, they can do really well in that. When they start to tell other people what they should do, it's like, how about you stick to what you're good at or try and be a little bit better at it, in fact. So it's, it's a completely different mindset that as a generation, we are becoming more and more innovative and entrepreneurial and being able to communicate in terms, as you've been talking about, that we understand and reflects our own personal desires. That's the only way we're going to be able to communicate what a more free, a more liberated and uh, an economy with more opportunity is actually going to exist. Yeah, I, I mean, Gabrielle, you hit on the personal angle, um, and I, and I lo- love that because we in, in we use other terms to talk about personal, um, as in you know the individual approach. It's not the one size fits all model. It's not the you know this is the cookie cutter way for um, for for things to go, and everyone has to follow this, and and this is the best path for everyone. 
No. Personal says, what is right for you, Gabrielle? What is right for me, Patrice? And we can we can take that idea of, of personal and translate it to lots of other issues affecting our generation. I mean, um, higher education, for example, you know, how what's the best path to success for a young person? Um what is the, what's the right way to address some of the different social problems that we have? Um, but when we make the case that it is not just um, government telling every single person what the best thing for their life is, but rather our ingenuity, you know, our decision making, our personal choice, allowing us to really define what 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 a good life is, what success is, what happiness is, then it flourishes like a like a field of flowers, and and out of that comes the the new ideas that haven't even been born yet, the companies that haven't been started, you know, the dreams that are that are sitting in someone's head. Or someone young, one, some young person's heart that really just needs that that is going to be born out on paper, and then they run with it and create it. Um, but that gets stifled when we put control in the hands of, you know, frankly, someone in in a, in a state house or someone in Washington D.C. making those decisions and controlling that. So that's what we're trying. That's what we try to to talk about with young people. Um, there are lots of other issues that we get involved with at Generation Opportunity, uh, but we we try to find the right uh, opportunity, the, the right issues that open the uh, mind or the eye of uh, the eyes of a young person to, okay, really, what what's going on here? Um, is my freedom being limited here? Is my my opportunity being limited here? And then what can we do about it? And so you mentioned, um, you know, policymakers. What we do is we, we not just educate policymakers and educate young people, but then we connect the two. So making our voice heard is critical to ensuring that every policy that gets made um, from our uh, the, the local school board all the way up to the White House reflects our interest, not just the interest of previous generations, but the, 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 the interest of young people who are struggling under debt, facing high unemployment, um, facing high, you know, cost of living due to higher taxes, facing challenges just to being an entrepreneur or, or, or working in an occupation that they want. So we need to make our voices heard when these issues, when these policies come up. And when we do it, I mean, politicians listen, policymakers have to listen. But as a generation, until we can use the harness, the, 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 the voice, the collective voice that we have, I mean, we are, we are going to be the biggest voting bloc. But until we exercise that voice, you know, there, no one is going to take us seriously. So that's what we try to do. We try to not just educate, but also get young people involved in politics. And this is the first year ever that millennials have now outnumbered baby boomers and those who are eligible to vote. So it's no wonder that the candidates are very much concerned about who millennials are looking to vote for because we're a voice that cannot be ignored. Patrice, you're talking a lot about reaching a generation and making them care, making them care about their own opportunity, making them care about their own future, making them care even about local regulations and laws that get passed. But so many in this generation have become apathetic to what's going on in the world. How do you see the most effective way to be able to reach out and touch someone in this generation and make them care. Mm. Um, so you, you touched on the, the 2016 election cycle and it is, it, it has been a very, um, 
charged election cycle uh, for, for the candidates who are running, but also for the issues that are being brought to the forefront <clears throat> and what are the issues that are really are affecting us. And, you know, uh, the, um, the top issues, the USA Today uh, released a poll a couple of weeks ago that found that the economy is still the top issue among millennials. We are looking for <laughs> jobs. We are looking for opportunities. We want to be able to work and provide for ourselves. And so that's going to be an issue that resonates. And uh, actually, this Friday, we will be putting out our monthly jobs report for millennials. We look at exactly what 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 the snapshot looks of the workforce looks like for those who are between 18 and 29 years old. And we find it's been consistent. It's double the national average. That's a problem. But no one talks about it. So when it when it comes to this election cycle, when it comes to just in general, how do we get young people involved and, and, and over their apathy? Man, when they start to find when they get out of college and find that they can't get a job, all of a sudden it's not, it, it becomes, well, why can't I find a job? Why can't I? Why? Why? You know, I was told that if I go to get a four year degree, I would get a good job. And I'm not finding that. I was told if I do and do this and that, I'd be able to get a job. Yet we have, what, 4 million um, un, uh, open roles or open positions in this country right now. So how is it that there is such a disconnect? And, 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 and working, with, uh, working with unemployment and working with um, the issue of just jobs in the economy is a great way of talking about you know, occupational, occupations and how can young people break into that? What are the skill sets that they need? So um, as an organization, we, we have a... Uh, uh, an institute that does things like resume workshops. I'm actually going to be leading one this evening on a college campus. But what are the skills that, are, that, that empowers a young person so that they can find a job once they're, they're done with school? But even broader than that, you know, how do we prepare our young people for this workforce? It's different than our parents' workforce, and it's continually going to change. So what are the skills that are needed and necessary? And then are there policies that are standing in the way of job growth and job creation. And there, trust me, there definitely are those policies that are hindering job growth. And then there are some that we don't even think about, like the, the difficulty it is for a young person to get into an occupation, becoming a florist, for example, or an interior designer. There are lots of uh, regulations that are just bur unnecessary burdens or, or unnecessary hurdles. And so how can we get those out of the way? But at the core, and I think uh, President Bill Clinton said it many, many, many years ago. It's the economy, stupid. And so if we can get back to jobs and opportunity, that's how we can get we can light a fire under young people. Great points. Personalizing the message, meeting millennials where they're at, and then actually giving them the skills to be able to become empowered, to be not only motivated members of our society, but actually skilled and contributive members of our society as well. Well, Patrice, we are here at our last question, and it's what I ask all of my guests, is if the 12-year-old version of you were to meet you today and see what you do at Generation Opportunity, what would she think about who you are and what you do? <laughs> the 12-year-old version of me, number one, would be impressed by my wardrobe. I, when I was 12... You're all I, impressed I, by your wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But even more than that, um, she would be impressed by, you know, how vocal I am, how, um, how you know, 
in in the you know in 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 the public setting that I am, and how you know and and how I don't I'm not afraid to share my opinions. You know, and they may not be popular. Not everyone agree will agree with me. Not everyone will even understand where I'm coming from. But I think she'll be impressed because I was a wallflower at that age. Um, who did and who dressed like a wallflower? Trust me, my my floral pants and plaid did not work back then, and I thought they did. However, <laughs> I was very shy, and and I but I had the values at that time. I understood that if I worked really hard, if I put time and effort in, that I could achieve something. And I set really high goals for myself, and and that is still the same Patrice today. And so she'll see that that the, at the core I'm the same, but you know maybe the packaging is a little bit different, and and um, and the labeling on the package is is probably um, even even more even a little bit uh, more attractive than before. Uh, and, and that's just an encouragement to every young person out there that, you know, who, who you are today doesn't have to be who you are tomorrow. We can constantly reinvent ourselves. Um, and, 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 and there is no limit to what we can achieve, but there are limits to our opportunity. And we need to make sure that we are getting those, those limits and those barriers out of the way. Well, Patrice Lee of Generation Opportunity, thank you so much for taking some time today to share with us and our audience about your journey and your work. And I just want to acknowledge you for your commitment to translating somewhat difficult and challenging issues into terms that our generation can understand that we can see ourselves in that Uber driver or in that Airbnb host and say, hey, I want to create more opportunity. I want to be a part of an economy that mm -hmm. says yes to opportunity rather than no. So thank you so much again. And we look forward to seeing what you're doing in the future. Awesome. Thank you for having me.